Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had heard from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Well, that's quite a story. The, the thing that we learned from this story as the visit of the Magi happened after the birth of Jesus. wasn't the twelfth day, as we see sometimes observed in the um, liturgical calendar, but it did happen after his birth. Now, since Bethlehem is the town of Joseph's family, it's reasonable to assume that after Jesus was born uh, in the stable, the next day uh, they went to stay with relatives. Uh, somewhere in Bethlehem with someone else, because this is where Joseph was from. And it's assumed that they stayed there for quite a while. And verse 11 tells us that when the Magi finally found Jesus, they went into the house where they were staying. And so uh, from the time that Herod uh, was thinking of Jesus, it happened sometime uh, between two years after the birth or earlier. Now, who were these magi? Who were these wise men? Who were these wise guys, they say? (laughs) Well, we know for certain that there is a large community of Jewish people in Babylon. And Babylon, unlike Assyria, when they transported people from the Middle East uh, to their country, the Babylonians kept the ethnic groups together. 
And so we know that there was a significant population of Jewish people together in Babylon, and some of them even rose to prominent places of leadership in the kingdom, as we know from the book of Daniel. Well, these Jews would keep alive the writings of the prophets, and they would study the writings of the prophets, and they would make sure that they were preserved throughout the years. And it's it's uh, assumed now that these wise men, these magi from Babylon, got a hold of these prophetic writings and studied them, and they learned about the prophecies of the Messiah, and uh, they then went to Israel to find him. Now, tradition tells us that there were three wise men. As early as the third century, Christian scholars taught that there were three wise men because there was the giving of three types of gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Tradition also tells us that Christians sometimes assign uh, different values to these, like gold refers to royalty, frankincense represents divinity, and myrrh as an embalming spice representing humanity. Maybe. Um, But what we... Um, What we do know, though, is that it's possible that there were uh, these three and there were three given. But more likely, um, in order to support such a long trek from Babylon, it took a caravan of people to travel. And this caravan would travel most likely dozens or so travelers, and they would would, um, encounter lots of struggles on this trip. And it's also probable that the gifts that they brought were just popular gifts to give to a king. In fact, the Bible tells us the significance of these gifts. Psalm 72.15 says, gold is a gift for a king. Isaiah 60 verse 6 says, frankincense is a gift for a king. And Psalm 45.8 says, myrrh is a gift for a king. So it's possible that these wise men, these magi, just simply got the most precious gifts that they could get together and they brought them to give to this new king that they had come to worship as they learned from him and the prophets. Under the providence of God, this is interesting to me, um, these three gifts um, were given as a way to support Mary and Joseph for the two years that they were in Egypt. And so they would take these gifts and they would liquidate them and they would use them to purchase supplies to live in Egypt for those two years. And I think it's, I think it's wonderful how God protected uh, what we would call the first family of Christianity during their sojourn in Egypt. So God caused a star to shine in the sky. And since these magi started the, studied the stars, uh, this caravan of worshipers found Jesus in the house in Bethlehem and they came and worshipped him and all this worked together to give us uh, the epiphany of Jesus to the wise men. So that's the tradition of the the visit to the wise men. Now, I'd like to set just a little bit of context to this story and then I'd like to make some application and some take-home challenges for each of us. First thing I'd like to do is set the context uh, for this extended portion of scripture that we read. I'd like you to notice that in these verses that we read in chapter 2 of Matthew, um, tell us that 
the visit of the wise men and the whole story surrounding their visit is a fulfillment of prophecy. The main purpose of Matthew's gospel is to show how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. And this second chapter of Matthew is full of fulfilled prophecies. Bethlehem, the place of his birth, fulfills Micah. The slaughter of the babies fulfills Jeremiah. Nazareth, the town where he would grow up, fulfills Isaiah. The star fulfills Numbers. Kings would worship the baby, fulfills the Psalms. The sojourn in Egypt, and out of Egypt will I call my son, is from the book of Hosea. And so Matthew, throughout his gospel, says this was done in order to fulfill what was written by the prophets. Well, the birth of Jesus and the visit of the wise men does this, and it furthers the purpose of Matthew as he wrote his gospel. But secondly, it's very interesting that this visit of the wise men tells us of Gentile inclusion in salvation. Uh, From the very beginning, God's covenant with Abraham promised that the Messiah would be a blessing to every nation. Remember that? In you will all the nations of the world be blessed. And that's a prophecy of Jesus who will bless all the nations. So Matthew records a great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And in the genealogy of Matthew, he lists four women who are either non-Jewish or married to non-Jewish people. All nations. And then here is an intentional, extended experience of Gentile, non-Jewish people coming from the Middle East to worship Jesus. And so while Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, he is the Messiah to every tongue, every tribe, every nation. It's Gentile inclusion of the worldwide scope of the gospel. Third, Jesus is the new Moses. Now, this is very interesting. Over and over in Matthew, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is presented as having greater authority than the law of Moses. The birth narrative sets the foundation for this truth. Notice how Matthew reminds his readers of the similarity of the story of Jesus and Moses. Do you remember Moses' story? Um, Uh, The Pharaoh gave the command to the Jewish mothers that when they gave birth to a baby, and if the baby was a boy, they were supposed to what? Supposed to put it to death, right? Well, this is the same thing that happened with Herod when he gave birth to the Messiah, put the baby to death. But we know that Moses was rescued and raised in a Jewish home. And guess what happened to Jesus? When he was born, he was rescued from Herod and taken to Egypt where he was then preserved and raised. And therefore, just as Moses led the people out of Egypt in the Exodus, so was Jesus called out of Egypt after the death of Herod, which then shows that Jesus fulfills the law of Moses. And as we learn from the book of Hebrews, he is even greater than Moses. And so the birth narrative of these wise men kind of takes the story of the redemption history and moves it forward and gives us this wonderful picture of the significance of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So that's the context of Matthew, and I thought that would be interesting to look at. 
But for now, I'd like to take three observations from this story as a challenge to us. What can we take home? What can we learn from this story and recorded in the second chapter of Matthew? First, I'd like you to be challenged by the fact that these wise men studied and researched the truth about Jesus. They were interested in this Messiah. So they studied the scriptures. They researched the prophecies. And they spent time learning about Jesus. Do you know the name C.S. Lewis? Many of you do. He's a preeminent Christian apologist of a, of the, uh, a generation ago. Well, he set out to prove that Jesus was a charlatan. He was an atheist. And he was a scholar and he said, well, I'm going to take my learning and prove that this Christian thing is a farce. And so he studied and he researched and guess what? He got so convinced of the truth of Christ that it captivated his life and he became one of the greatest spokesmen for the defense of Christianity. A man named Lee Strobel who wrote the book, The Case for Christ, maybe you've heard him. His story is very interesting. He, too, was an atheist, and he was a reporter for the Chicago uh, newspaper, the Child Tribune, and his wife came to faith in Christ. And when she came to faith in Christ, he said, well, this is a bunch of baloney. I'm going to prove to her that this is not true so that my wife can, can let go of this this fantasy that she has. So he went through, used all of his learning, and he began to research Jesus. He too gave his life to Christ and became a wonderful apologist for the faith of Jesus Christ. Josh McDowell, some of you maybe have read his evidence that demands a verdict. Same thing happened. He was on the university campus, and he's a philosopher and a scholar, and he was annoyed at all these Christians in the school. And he too researched Jesus, came to faith in Christ himself. So even though their motives were questionable, these people took the time to honestly research the truth. Now, maybe some of you are still considering this Christian thing. I'd like to challenge you, don't listen to Facebook. Don't listen to the new atheists. Don't listen to Time magazine and Newsweek magazine and their annual assault on Christianity. Take the time to research Jesus for yourself. Find a time to think through and study the scriptures. Uh, Maybe you had a bad experience with Christians in church that has turned you off. Don't let them set set the agenda for you. Research Jesus for yourself. Find out what it is that Jesus is all about. And I would suggest that if you truly, with an open heart, look for the truth about Jesus Christ, that is the greatest opportunity you'll have to understand exactly what this Christian thing is all about. These wise men spent time researching the truth. And when they researched the truth, spent time reading and studying and finding out about Jesus. They came to him and they worshipped him because they had done their homework. And that's a challenge for us. Do your homework. Study about Jesus. 
You don't have to do it only as a non-Christian to come to Christ. Even as a believer, we've got questions, don't we? And there are questions that we want answers for. We won't have all the answers, but there are lots of them that we can come to if we spend time studying about Jesus. And for those who are interested, we'll talk a little bit more about this during our cross-trainer time to continue to study about the Lord Jesus. So that's the first thing that we can learn from these magi. They took the time to do the hard work themselves so that nobody else would be able to set the agenda for them. Secondly, they traveled a long distance at considerable inconvenience and cost. I think there are many who name the name of Jesus Christ who are willing to follow him until their faith begins to interfere with their own agenda. Brothers and sisters, sometimes Jesus asks us to take a risk. Sometimes Jesus asks us to humble ourselves. Sometimes Jesus sets an agenda for us that requires us to pay a cost, to pay a price. How often do we go to church on Sundays and expect someone else to do the worshiping for us, to do the teaching for us, to do the learning for us? These wise men came and they invested and they had considerable cost. They traveled a thousand miles riding on camels, in all sorts of desert conditions, snow, or, or uh, not snow, windstorms with sand, all the things that they had to cross, language barriers, and they went from one nation to another, um, all sorts of things, and then they had to make the trek back again. Considerable price, considerable cost. Cost to seek after Jesus sometimes is high. And that's a challenge to me, thinking, but what am I willing to do to find out about this Jesus? Well, third, they sacrificed in giving valuable gifts to Jesus. We all know the value of gold, don't we? Frankincense and myrrh are spices that are taken from the sap of trees. And in today's money, a pound of gold or frankincense and myrrh is $500 a pound in today's money. These were significant gifts that they gave to Jesus. Significant cost and sacrifice for these guys to give gifts to Jesus. They weren't leftovers. They weren't, well, I'll pay all my bills and then what's left over, maybe I'll give that to Jesus. No. It was a significant investment in worshiping Jesus. Significant cost to Jesus. Now these are three challenges to me. And as I think about these three challenges, I'd like to suggest to you an overall principle that we might be able to think of for 2019. In 2019, like the Magi from the East, let us seek after Jesus. I want to challenge us this morning. Seek him. 
there's any sort of curiosity about Jesus, if there's a tug in your heart that you find about Jesus Christ, follow it, pursue it, seek him. Wise men still seek Jesus. We search for answers to life's questions in all sorts of ways. I would suggest to you that you'll find many answers, not all of them. Uh, There's still some mystery in life, isn't there? But, you know, if you follow Jesus and if you seek after him, you'll be able to look at the things that you don't understand through the lens of the incredible things that you do understand. But you have to seek after Jesus. Here's a promise from the book of Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. There's grace there, isn't it? You know, how can you buy something without paying for it? (laughs) Well, Isaiah says, you come to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, You won't have to pay for it. It comes without a price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Wow, what a challenge for us to think about in the coming year. Come to me. It's an invitation. Seek after Jesus. Let's seek with him. And here's the promise that Isaiah makes in the next few verses. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, Let him turn to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If we seek after Christ, God will not let us down. He will meet us as we seek after him. Now, I know this is not the way of the 21st century. I know that we have to try to figure everything out. We want to know just how is this going to progress. But you know, the more we look for meaning in life under the sun in this life, the more we'll be frustrated because how can we expect something other than God to give us what only God can give us? Only God can give us the things that our heart longs for. So let's seek after him. And let's go to him. And he promises then that he will give us that which will fulfill our hearts if we seek after him. Because the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In 2019, brothers and sisters, let's seek after Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, just a couple of thoughts. Um, These aren't in any natural order. But I'd like to give you a couple of thoughts from my own life of how to seek Jesus. One, first thought in the morning, last thought at bedtime. 
make it Jesus. Now, this is something that I try to do. I'm not always good at it. My wife, Faye, is better at it than I am. Um, She does her devotions at night. I do mine in the morning. And so I know that when she goes to bed, the last thought of her day is Jesus. Sometimes I have to confess, um, I watch a ball game. Sometimes the Brewers get me upset or the Packers get me upset and I go to bed and I'm not really... Okay, I have to work at that. Sometimes I lay in bed and the best I can do is, is quote scriptures that I've memorized, but I always try to do that. And then when I get up in the morning, instead of, you know, good Lord morning, <laughs> it's good morning Lord. See, the first thing we do in the morning, seek after Jesus. I think we'll, I sleep better when I do that. And you begin the day with Christ. Begin the day with Jesus. Now, you can do that secondly as we see intentional Bible reading and prayer and other spiritual disciplines. I don't know what your favorite spiritual discipline is. Um, I hope that you're not legalistic about them. I hope that you are uh, full of joy when you read the Bible and full of joy when you pray. I, read, I heard something this week that has kind of been thinking about. Uh, have you heard of the five love languages? You know, the five love languages are words of affirmation, uh, physical touch, giving of gifts, quality time, and acts of service. Did you ever think about the possibility that the way in which we worship God is consistent with whatever our love language is. For example, my main love language is words of affirmation. And I think about what is it that I really pursue in my Christian life. I pursue theology. Why? Because I'm looking for things in the Bible that affirm me, that bless me, that give me confidence that that's how God is reaching out to me. And it's kind of consistent with my love language. I think of someone whose love language is quality time. Well, that person maybe loves to just spend time in prayer and just be in God's presence because they want to experience that, that love language of quality time with God. I think of a person who loves to serve. You know, they're really not into the, you know, the meditation and the study and the scriptures, but they love to serve. Well, maybe their love language is acts of service. And so the way that they worship God is uh, serving, going on mission trips, serving on teams in the church, doing those things, um, the giving of gifts. There are some people whose love language is giving, is receiving gifts. Well, you know, it may be that those people whose love language is giving of gifts, they love to give other people gifts. So they're always making stuff and giving people stuff. Or they, they have the gift of giving and they give financially and sacrificially to the local church. And, and you see all of the things, maybe our love language is that which helps us to seek after Jesus. But what I'm suggesting to you is to do it. 
to seek after him, to do these things. It's a very practical thing to seek after Jesus. It's not something ethereal and spiritual that only those who live in the ivory tower can do. All of us can seek after Jesus. Another thought. Be aware of sinful temptations and put them to death. Now, this is, this is an ongoing thing, isn't it? Some of us have temptations in the area of, you know, maybe not being very disciplined with how they spend money. Uh, they go to, you know, to Eddie Bauer too much. Um, be aware of that. Um, you know, some people buy shoes. You know, there's, there's women, maybe some here in our church, who have 200, 300 pairs of shoes. Uh, that's a temptation for you. When that comes on to you and the Lord says, now wait a minute, listen, put it to death. Uh, don't, let it, don't let it fester. If you've got a problem clicking on the computer, men or women, and you're tempted to do it, just think, put it to death. I'm going to put it to death right now. I'm not even going to go in. I'm just going to, I'm going to put it to death. And as we are aware of those things, we have that commitment. Um, think about that. And we'll talk a little bit more about this. I'm, I'm considering doing a series uh, leading up to Easter on how to break the chains of sinful temptations. Um, and thinking how we can we can get free from the temptations about in life. Uh, next, live a lifestyle of repentance and affirm God's grace. When we don't put it to death, when we stumble into when we when we give way to the to the deeds of the world and the flesh and the devil, that's not the end of our lives. Pursue Jesus. When we get off the track, just like a video game, and a little car gets off the road and does this little thing and crashes, what do we do? We get back on the track and keep going. That's what repentance means. Affirm God's grace in your life. Realize that he is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Keep at it. That's what it means to pursue Jesus. And finally... Serve him from a heart of gratitude. One discipline that um, I've, I've done for the last several years, journaling is hard for me. Uh, because I'm just, I'm just not, I want to I hear God speak to me. Journaling is hard for me. But I've done a discipline of keeping a Thanksgiving journal. And every week, I open up my journal and I just start writing things that I'm thankful for that God did for me the previous week. And I don't stop until I get at least 10. Uh, you know, last week I did, you know, a lot more than 10. Uh, this Monday morning I'll get out my journal and I'll write down and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably find a lot more than 10 this week too. But it's a discipline to help me develop a heart full of gratitude. And what's really fun is to go back and read my journal. And it helps me to develop. This is what it means to pursue Jesus. You see, pursuing Jesus is not something that that is not beyond our reach. It's practical. It's something that we can do. It's something that we can enter into in our lives. And God will meet us 
and he will fulfill his word in our lives. Let me give you a couple of promises as I conclude. One, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. Isn't that good news? You will find him if you search after him with your heart and with all your soul. Search for him. Seek him with all your heart, with all your soul. And listen what the writer to the Hebrew says. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you seek after him, draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And you will find fulfillment. The longing of your heart will come as you seek the Lord. Can we make that a pursuit of 2019? Let's seek after God in this new year. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, sometimes we read in the scriptures to seek after you and we wonder, what in the world does that mean? How do you do that? Well, it's very practical how to do that. Help us, Lord, as we you think about these things in our lives to begin taking some baby steps in them. Lord, we don't have to be masters of these things. Um, these are only a few suggestions. There's probably others. But help us, Lord, to take one step today that we didn't take yesterday and one more step tomorrow. Lord, these magi from the east, man, they went to great lengths to seek Jesus. May their story inspire us to do the same in the 21st century. So, Lord, meet us where we are and help us to walk after you and to your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.